Welcome to Health Impressions, the show about authority, acquisition, and retention. I'm your co-host, Brian Cush, co-founder of Title Health Group, a digital marketing agency specializing in healthcare. I'm accompanied by Jay Parkinson, Chief Medical Officer of SANA, a health plan that delivers high-quality healthcare while keeping costs down. Our show focuses on the cross-sections of marketing, patient experience, and product development. We explore strategies for providing high-quality care, enhancing patient experience, and retention through cutting-edge technologies. We'll be speaking with like-minded industry leaders who will be sharing their learnings and spilling some secrets, too. Dean, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here. Uh, I know it's going to be a fun, lively conversation. There's way too many letters before and after your NGA's name, so I'm slightly intimidated, but <laughs> this is going to be fun. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I'd love to just dive in. I mean, you have an extremely deep, uh, extensive background. I think the core two areas you're looking at are decision makers and decision makers trying to line those decisions around their consumers. Where do you even begin to bridge the conversation to those decision makers on what, how, where to do research? Oh, that's a good question. You know, the way that we approach, the way we approach our research, you know, from a, applying ethnography in an online space, I think that it's getting them to be able to assess what data they have. And I should also, maybe the other caveat is how actually have access to because there's also, it's often there's talk of the data that is around, but it may not be something that they actually have all that much access to. But then also then trying to get the perspective on what, what are the different kinds of data that, that are really going to give them some real insights. Um, just recently, I've been doing a talk with, uh, Danny Fell of Optum and referring to thick data, but this idea that like you shouldn't just have the big data that you need the qualitative to really help get stories out of it. I just use that as an example, but I think it's this idea of how can you do a real assessment of what you've got? And there's real easy and like frequent traps that everyone falls into. You know, my favorite, favorite thing to pick on, um, MPS scores, net promoter scores. I mean, people, their entire jobs live and die by net promoter scores. You know, what, no matter what that is, this idea of would you recommend this brand? And the problem is nobody, people rarely ask. Well, I don't always want to know just would you. I want to know do you. Like why aren't we, and that's often what we often might do, is the other half of that picture is do people actually recommend you out in the wild? It's one thing for a bunch of people who want free Amazon gift cards to recommend you in a survey, and that may make you feel great because that NPS score goes up and your job is safe for another year. But if you don't know if they actually are recommending you, how valuable is that? And shouldn't you want to know if there's a gap there, if people are saying one thing and doing another, or maybe the demographics are different, you know, and I think that's part of it is this idea of assessing the data you have on your consumers, on your, you know, caregivers, whoever it is that you're talking about, not just how complete it is, because I think sometimes we get tied up in the, that, that idea of it being complete, but just the idea of like, how much of the picture does it complete of, of who you need to reach, of what, of what they're journeys are, what their lives are like, and their, how their decision-making in healthcare is, is framed. How do you think about that like from this like sh short-term versus long-term application? I think that the human instinct is so short-termism, 
of, yeah, how do I just validate the number in the short term? But how do you then wrap that to go? You can't, I'm assuming you just can't say like ignore the NPS score completely. It's more like how do you layer in that more qualitative data that I'm assuming you can't just like explicitly ask for in a follow-up form for a $20 gift card. Well, and right, and, and it'd be similarly corrupted, right? Like it wouldn't be any, you'd be getting just more at the, you know, because what, what are you asking? Like, no, really. <laughs> like, no BS. Are you, do you, would you really recommend this? You know, part, part of it is, you know, for, again, for our part, you know, we're looking at how people are talking on a social level, right? So this idea of, okay, they say one thing on their MTS scores, but on another no one actually recommends you out loud. Maybe they only recommend physicians and they don't talk about the brand. You know, that that's part of that disconnect is where else could you find that information, perhaps unprompted, where you could do that, uh, where you can, you can really find that out. Um, but, you know, part of it too, though, is I think being really critical about, really critical about the data because, uh, all right, I'll give you, I'll give you a very, um, a really salient trap, like one of these traps that people fall in. And another one is, personas. First off, often it's some consultant that has, you know, wafted through at some point in the last, you know, several years, they paid a lot of money to come up with their personas. And it's, they don't age well, you know, there might still be a millennial million there. And it says that she's a college student, which hasn't happened for 15 years. Um, but the other element, though, is it, or you know, and I, I, you know, I know you've probably seen this on the digital side, right? There's that trap of making your personas only out of, say, the traffic to your old website, and it's like, well, first off, those are people you already captured, and secondly, so a website that's so bad you want to redo it. So how much does that tell you about the journey of those people before they ever got there? And I think that's where we we sometimes we we want to short circuit things so so tightly that I think we in looking for those shortcuts, we don't ask some really tough questions of the data that we have. Um, and I think that's even just that I think at the root of things is where I think a strategist needs to be better about asking those kinds of questions and not, you know, often we we've even seen it with our own clients where they'll say, hey, you know, We've been using, you know, insert whatever, you know, market research firm here. And this one number keeps going down year over year. And it could be about anything. It could be about workforce, you know, employee satisfaction. It could be about patient satisfaction, whatever. You know, this number keeps going down. And we, like, we recognize that means there's a problem, but it doesn't tell us why. And the problem is they've gone how many years watching that number go down? before asking a lot. And it's just those kinds of traps, I think, that we really got to get better about being more critical and understanding how to, how to insert other methods and not get really too locked in. Dean, should we, should we just kill the whole concept of the MPS score? What do you think? I think so. <laughs> Let's really? drown it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, here's a, I mean, do I think there's some, I, here's the thing. I don't want to say that there's not value in trying to come up with a way to grade where your reputation is at. Mm -hmm. But finding a way to grade where your reputation is at versus what that actually is like mechanically for your consumers, that's two different questions. Yeah. 
It's, it's funny because like, it seems that the MPS score, for example, is used to just compare yourself to others in the industry, right? And, you know, it's funny because like the things that I always try to build, I try to be an A plus player in the NPS score, right? But then right. you're like, well, I'm better than, you know, one of the bukas that's at, you know, their NPS score is five, but we're at 95. And so it's just like, it's such a, like you're comparing an A plus student to like an F minus student. And it's just like, it's not really apples to apples, but that, it's just on so exactly. much that like, you know, it's just like, is it the necessary evil we have to use because we just like everybody uses it? Well, and I think that's part of the problem is it's designed to be universal. But universal, that doesn't always work, even just industry to industry. Like, you're talking about apples to apples. I mean, literally, we're talking about, like, a score that Apple probably uses. Is that the relevant way to track patient satisfaction for a hospital? You know, because as I was mentioned before, like the concept of brand can be different based on geography, not even industry, geography. Mm. We've definitely done studies where like, you know, an entire region, even by service line, I should say, let's say an entire region in orthopedics, no one mentions a brand name. They all just talk about docs. Well, does that mean your, your MPS score is valuable or not? It's like it, it's it's not it's not to say it's irrelevant, but it's to say that's not how they're making decisions. So we should stop acting like like we're going to push the NPS scores relevance onto our consumers, which is exactly like the most arrogant opposite way we ought to be, you know, treating our uh, the uh, uh, patient audience. If I take the flip side though, and I take the seat of like the C-suite, are you recommending we define our own kind of intrametric? Like, how do we then replace that? If I go, okay, I understand we can't use universality. I got to use something. Well, I think, I think there is, and that's where I do, I do truly believe you can create a grading system that makes sense. And I, but I do think you've got to, I, again, I think this all comes down to this want for like a shorthand and a shortcut. And that's why we adopt things like MPS scores without thinking like, is it even relevant to an individual facility or are they referencing X brand of a whole system? They're not actually talking about how they feel about the facility nearest to them. So I think some of it is what can you develop that has enough flexibility that it's relevant for you and relevant for your, the way you're set up. And I think, yeah, I'm not against the concept of trying to come up with a grading system. I actually think you should, I think it should involve mixed, methodologies. I think there's some great ways to do it. I think it's the shortcut problem. Um, you know, we, I'll give you a salient example also in, in like even the social listening world that we're in this idea of like, just make word clouds out of the largest social media, you know, uh, channels. It, you've got a, you have to go deeper because that's just where all the good stuff is. Anyways, the condition specific message boards, things like that. But it's also those word clouds that are so dangerous to just put blinders on and only stare at Facebook, for example. You know, we saw that in workforce where we were tracking clinician and nurse burnout. Well, if you were going to use, you know, one of those larger dashboards, there would show you the biggest word, most important word was pizza. Boy, that must mean they love pizza. 
and they want more pizza. And you could make all your buying decisions based on that giant word in the word cloud. And you would somehow miss that, no, pizza is an artifact being used to make fun of slash complain about the lack of respect that they felt administration was pouring down on them during the pandemic, especially. And, but that's a great example where we want this shortcut. Please just tell us red light, green light, how's the brand doing? And we should question if that gets too easy. There's probably a reason why it's too easy. And it's how, how, how operational, which maybe is the better question, right? Mm -hmm. How operational is an MPS score? Mm -hmm. If it goes down, what do you do about it? But if it was New York pizza, though, then everything would have been fine. So. <laughs> if yeah. only. Well, that's true. Because as we saw, all New York nurses are really happy. Uh, and we're, you know, <laughs> especially in the last one. Oh, totally. From my apartment window, I can hear all the clanging <laughs> for Lenox Hill. Because that's all the nurses wanted was people bringing pizza. pots and <laughs> pans. Right, please. So, uh, it's fine. I'll give a frame. That, like we're performance marketers, like short termism <laughs> period. Everyone thinks that way. And right. it's so common of this. Well, like what's your click through rate? What's your conversion rate? And let's go, well, where's the benchmark? And the universality of that is useless. It's well, like let's understand where the next interaction is. Are they actually becoming a patient? Are they clinically relevant, geographically relevant, financially relevant? Let's establish your own intra number and then iterate and approve on it, right. not use that. Do you think the same way? Like, do you use the NPS score, but ignore the noise or is there a different signal that you try and get a buy-in on? I think I, to me, the NPS score only has relevance. If you can prove to me that your patients are using brand names to make their decision. Hmm. And there are patients that are, I don't want to, you know, We've, we've done some fantastic work. I'll give you a great example. The best example I give you of that is Emory. You know, we do great work with Emory. And Emory's brand is fantastic as the word Emory. Like, it really does have a tremendous sway. But I've seen other, you know, regions, like I said, and even different service lines sometimes where it's just it the, the brand isn't invoked in the same way. And if that's the case... The NPS score, I'm not saying that like preference studies, that that's kind of a different beast a little bit, but the concept of the NPS score may not be relevant. And so I'd rather, let's find out first if that's the path to go down. Because the problem is, I think people, and I mean, people mean the departments and then the leadership get trained that just to think that NPS scores are the only thing that matters if we're going to build everything on top of it. And that's why I'd rather say, first, let's just prove that this is the way people think. Or are they thinking about what's their nearest hospital? Or, you know, the docs around them who may or may not have been bought up or not, right, depending upon what the situation might be. It's maybe the relevance is entirely through the docs that they trust, you know, and the brand may be kind of secondary to that. Uh, maybe like more of an umbrella feel. But I feel like you've got to set the stage on the reality first before, you know, and not do it on top of something that feels like shorthand, but may not actually even be all that relevant. What's your experience of, of how you weight brand from a brand versus provider level? It's a, it's a funny concept that we've talked about. And if there's other few guests that like 
we look at it as we have the data of even like business listings of seeing how people search and interact and then make an action from a brand versus a provider level. Um, there's a lot of consumer data on that as well. And Jay has a lot of experience on how he thinks sure. that should function. I'm curious from your view, is there universalities or even your experience on how you think about that? I, I mean, good news, bad news. I don't think there's that many universalities, partly because, I mean, and I think most systems would agree with this. Everybody's situation is so radically different in terms of, I mean, are we talking about referrals from docs, you know, in areas where it's pretty wired, you know, as in like, I'm just going to go with exactly what my primary care physician tells me to, you know, that referral is pretty, you know, pretty much already done for me. You know, I think it depends on just how much, what that decision making and what that choice really looks like. Um, yeah. I mean, cause even, you know, I keep talking about differences in service lines, but I mean, that's, I think that's a real thing. I mean, think about like bariatric surgery. That tends to be like a seven year decision making situation, you know, where they're waiting until there's a life event. So then how do they, when they first start talking about brand, are, are they, you know, and maybe they are, but it's, it's, I think it could end up being pretty nuanced, which I know is like not the most clean answer, right. To say it's, it's new, it depends, you know, um, because I think that the, maybe this is where I'm, maybe this is the most succinct way to talk about this. The patient's perception of brand often does not line up with what the system or the brand's perception of brand is. In other words, it may not mean the same thing. It may not, that may not be what they're referring to when they're talking about it the same way. Now, there could be things that they associate with, you know, from a value proposition standpoint uh, with brand. Um, but I do think, I think that often those, the definitions are different. And so I think the first, and again, I'm saying this from a researcher perspective, I think the first questions ought to be, how does your stakeholder, how do your stakeholders, how does your population think of, talk about, and define brand? And then you've got to start from there. Because if you go at it with, with, I think, from that, that sort of system thinking first or that brand, quote unquote, brand thinking first, I think it's a really easy trap um, to, to end up crossing wires in that. Um, and especially in this day of M&A, you know, because like this idea of X hospital system in these three states just merged with Y hospital system in three completely different states. And I guarantee you within two months of all these of this particular, you know, hypothetical merger happening, they're going to do a brand preference study to a bunch of people that have no idea what the other name is or was or meant or even what the new name is or was or meant. And that there's going to be an NPS score generated that someone's going to get a bonus on. <laughs> like, even though it's almost meaningless because no one's lives changed, they're still going to the same hospital two miles away or the one four miles away because they've heard that that's better. But they have, you know, there's this, there's like gods fighting in the sky. But this is about my kid who just broke his leg. And so I think that's part of it is just this like, how do we bring our assessments down to earth and like actually try and understand the patient as opposed to constantly creating these mechanisms that where we're like pushing brand 
on people as opposed to like as a hand up for what it means and what it's going to do for them. It's so funny because it's just like such a farce, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, you might, you might be like, Oh, I'm going to what I think is the highest, the best brand hospital in my network. You have a choice of two, of course, and, um, two brands per major metropolitan area anymore. Right. And, you know, then you, you show up in the hospital and, you know, you get the, the, the second year resident and who's kind of like a, a little bit abrasive. And, you know, it's just like, it's such a crapshoot because the only thing that matters is like that doctor caring for you. It has nothing to do with like that's right the, the walls of the doctors and the practicing in, you know. So it's, well, it's and they it's didn't look weird. Weirdest, yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> one of the weirdest like brand concepts in America. I think it's just such well, a disconnect from the promise to what actually is being delivered. Absolutely, because they didn't look up your NPS score before going. Mm. Like they weren't like I'm going to go to this brand because more people say they would recommend that brand. They're going to go to that brand because they even know you exist. I mean, my favorite, my favorite example of a patient, a patient type, let's say that totally breaks most systems. Brand thinking is the young parent who moves to the area. Hilariously, this is like gold, right? These are the people like, that are like the most magic new patients, right? Cause the idea is, Oh, we capture them. We'll capture them for life or whatever. And yet they are the biggest question mark because a they're relatively naive consumers because they haven't had that many interactions from a healthcare perspective. If they're a young parents mm-hmm. and it's entirely based likely on wherever they had their child at, which if they're moving to the area means they have, they've had healthcare experiences, but not with any of the brands in the new area. Mm-hmm. So they're a pretty clean slate. So when they ask for recommendations from their peers, they actually don't No one they're talking to has probably had that many interactions and certainly hasn't had interactions with multiple hospitals, like hospital brands. Mm-hmm. So in other words, they're going to make that decision based on their own homework and or like consensus, not comparison. Because none of their peers, or it's really unlikely that their peers have had a healthcare experience with two different brands in the area or the two different brands in the area. Mm-hmm. So point being is like they are, even their peer research is going to be a little bit on the back foot, like you said, and they're kind of, it's a, it's, it's sort of, let's just see what the experience is going to be. But it's mm-hmm. hilarious because if you talk to systems, they look at that person as like an incredibly capturable, you know, an imminently like, boy, we can change their mind. And yet they come at it on such a complete, like it's like just watching ships miss each other. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of how that brand will look at that person and how that person actually might make that decision. What do you think are the, the best brand healthcare brands out there in America right now? And what do they operationally do differently than other folks? Wow. Because like I'm, when I think of a health, yeah. healthcare brand, I think of it as like, it's a big graphic design exercise and you know, it's, it's billboards on the side of the interstate kind of exercise. Right. Oh my God. Which and, is insane. <laughs> but yeah. Right. Right. But what operationally do you think they do that like scream sort of excellence that like delivers on the promise of the brand? Oh man. That is a, it's a great question. I, 
I'll be honest, it is tough to pick out who I might think is the best, in part because it's also based on the context that they're that they're in. Um, I don't want to keep ringing the same bell, but I will say folks like Emory, and they're an interesting one because they're an academic medical center. And so I do think there is a sweet spot that can be achieved, it is not always achieved, but can be achieved between understanding that this is, that, that our academic pursuit and our commitment to community health are aligned. That is not the easiest message to convey, right? And it's not always, you know, sometimes I've seen it, I've seen it broken, right? Where it's, they, they seem really light on the academic part of it, or the academic feels like an intrusion. It's like, oh, I'm just going to get a bunch of students in my, my, you know, room with me. It's not, it's not like the value proposition just isn't connecting there. Um, I will also say, I think who's doing an amazing job of it, it generally speaking, are freestanding children's hospitals, especially the ones who have purviews beyond just a single city. So, for example, Arkansas Children's, where, yes, they have a big Little Rock base. They're also in Northwest, um, but they've got this purview for the state, and their mentality is very statewide focused. And when they're connecting that dot, it is for any parent in Arkansas is like, a, is like you're in you're in our umbrella, and that mentality is something that I think they do a great job of communicating that, but then also trying to match up even things like resources with where there are deficits, where there are gaps, and I feel like many of those who are listening for those gaps and trying to close them and publicly close them, I think that's a that's a bigger signal than any billboard ever will. And just as a aside, the dumbest billboard in the entire universe is the one that has the wait times in the ER uh, <laughs> ticker on it. Because no one's breaking their arm and saying, go by the billboard and find out how long it's going to be. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's interesting because I think what you're, what you're saying there is the best brands almost like uh, clue into like the, the tribalism of the region. Right? It's, it's similar to like almost like a football team. You know? In that, like they're, they're like, <laughs> yeah. right. You're kind of like, huh? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm from Denver, and I love the Broncos, and you know, let's be Bronco proud. You know, it's like it's 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 more like right. The Arkansas children is sort of like that. It's like if you're in Arkansas, you know, this is your place to take your kid. Don't go to Oklahoma. You know, I mean, we right we, right. We lose to them all the time in football. That's terrible. We hate to go there. You know, <laughs> what a horrible. It's interesting. Yeah, I know. No, it's I, I think you're, yeah, yeah. Well, it's what it's heavy on value and less on the proposition. On the proposition, in other words, it's not about. It, it's. I think there are definitely institutions who, in their kind of puffed up way fire over their community in terms of their messaging. In other words, they are, they're trying to appear world-class mm -hmm. and, and it kind of doesn't matter. And in fact, it may even be a hindrance if they connect too closely to the actual community they're serving because they want to appear like they're, they're almost positioning themselves more for the person coming out of state than they are the person who's three blocks away. And I, I think there's, 
that is a, a kind of a brand. Like I've seen that as sort of like a template that I've seen some, like a playbook some people will follow. And it's mm-hmm. what, what a danger that is. But on top of that, like what, what signal are you sending? Mm-hmm. You know, this, this sort of ivory tower attitude with that. Um, and honestly, that brings us to us news and those kinds of, you know, declarations that, Every single, I mean, it, there, we've done more than enough studies to prove that nobody cares about that um, on the on the patient decision making side necessarily. But the time and money that's spent chasing after that, and then then trumpeting that, it's just a, it, it's yeah, it's such a such a distracting element. Um, it's the MPS score of you know. <laughs> uh, just, just, just tailor made to siphon money and time from people who work in systems. That, that's all I was thinking about. I was like, that's the common out, the common example in our world is the top doctor award or the best U.S. news world. And you made a funny comment before that, like, there's no, and I'm looking more from a search data perspective of like, sure, there's no like top NPS specialist near me. Like, no one's looking <laughs> right. that up. And the same thing. There's no like U.S. news like cancer specialist near me. Like there's right. no mental capacity where someone grabs that from a consumer's perspective. Again, we'll say right, right, ever. Like literally, we've never yep. seen data ever that the consumer gives a shit about that. Right, a, a thousand percent, a thousand percent. And yet, I've been on the site visits. Of this person and system will go unnamed, but I've been on the site visits where like everything had to get delayed for the day because the marketing VP was so busy handing out blue cupcakes, you know, to celebrate another top doc award or something. And I mean, just, just kicking themselves. Like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing with my career? That this is, I know this is meaningless to the people that I'm asked to prove our value to. And yet I'm literally, you know, taxing door dashing blue cupcakes to everybody. I'm curious, you, you kind of answered this before, but I'm almost curious you elaborate a bit more. I love the example of the Institute you brought up because there's this balance of kind of like research and application that we, we, we called the subtext of this conversation authority and we're, oh, it's a, it's a subjective topic, but how do you think about a brand becoming authoritative? And I'll, I'll basic caveat, like from a digital perspective, we're always looking at that balance of like, you have to have the physical world authority of the research, the publications, but balance that then with the application of where those things put into play. Like, were your research and findings provided as care? How were the consumers' reactions to that care and to that research? That's a very digital perspective, and you kind of touched on it before, but I'm curious for you to elaborate more on how you look at authority from your work. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, hijack this question and add in the word quality because I do think both, both of those words and the definitions again are different. If you ask a system what the definitions are versus if you ask like the average patient, because I think for example, an authority, and I know this is like something that everybody immediately bristles at, but if you cancel my appointment and make it really difficult to get another one and I'm going to wait an extra six weeks to get it, that to me actually reflects on you as an authority. 
Because if you can't even have your scheduling system shit together, how can I trust you with a scalpel? And I think that's that also is where we get hung up on that quality word, I think, too, because I think it's this idea that it's not a transaction. I think that the consumer often gets there's a lot of assumptions that when an entity has gotten but so large, what does that mean then for them to be efficient? Not efficient for them, but efficient for me. Or whether it's about, you know, perceptions of that. And so, for example, I think that part of that, and this is where um, I've had some great conversations with like Ahava about this from a, you know, a content writing standpoint, um, is, you know, this idea of, is it, does it make you seem like an authority to have incredibly dense medical terminology all over your website? Yes, it might make you seem like an authority. But it also make, may make you seem incredibly cold and unapproachable for that panicked parent who just received this diagnosis and just really wants to know what's the next month going to be like for my kid. And so there's, there's a risk, I think, with the word authority in terms of being seen as a like harsh professor versus the like, comforting caregiver or care provider. Right. And I think, so I think that that's part of it. And I think, again, it comes down to who's at, who's asking internally to be an authority often can help you define what that authority might mean for that, for that situation and that nuance. If this is making any sense, I'm kind of going a little bit off on a rabbit trail. Line, but. No, it is. And I, I, I bring that word up knowing that it's kind of going to ruffle feathers and bristle a bit because we're more so coming from the consumer's perspective. So I love like the example you gave is perfect. And it sounds like we should talk to Ahava as well. We have all that data. Like what is the actual consumer language that people search for right. ingesting healthcare? Yeah. And it's not what they use in CPT codes and ICD language. Right. Like surprise, surprise, like consumers don't know how to talk like doctors. So I, I, there is an amorphous definition, and that's kind of why we bring it up, because everybody yeah. has all this lens looking at this subjective topic, but we need to talk about each player's perspe- perception of authority. And I think it also has to do with, too, like where, where do they seek and receive resources at what part of their journey? So like some of the, the work that we've done in the pediatric space, we might look at, say, parents of a particular of, of, who have children with a particular neurological disorder or, or it could be any service line. And what we might find, for example, is like in a given region, all these resources. I mean, I mean, that that could be communities. It could be nonprofits. It could be, you know, uh, message boards, whatever, are really focused on the initial diagnosis. But then they like totally fall off the map and it's like a ghost town. And it might not even be a ghost town in terms of questions. There may be plenty of questions, but nobody's answering once that child gets into middle school and beyond. And so like there's a good example where an authority who wants to be that partner will see that and say, you know where we shouldn't keep dump keep dumping money and time and attention is in the front of that funnel, you know, or the front of that experience, but rather how can we be an authority and a, a hand, a partner with this family, even as that child ages. 
and be able to be that provision. Or maybe it's even on the very beginning is to provide the resources of, hey, here's five like community groups for parents in the same boat as you. Like, and give those kinds of resources in the same way that we would give the exercises or whatever, you know, that we might give that might be more clinical. But like sort of acknowledge what this universe is like, but then also really acknowledge what their road is like too. And insert ourselves to be that hand, you know, throughout the life of that diagnosis or that, that patient or whatever the case may be. We talk a lot about continuity of care. We talk a lot about, I mean, even though, you know, it's absolutely ghastly sometimes to talk about it, right? It's like the lifetime value of a patient, you know, whatever. Um, but what we don't often talk about then is, okay, what does that actually mean for us to support them even when it's not clinical? And, and understand what their life is like, because it may actually end up becoming clinical as a part of that. But that's that other kind of longer tail of that authority, I think, that's really important to ask about. Because actually, you know, even talking about language, it's not that they wouldn't Google the long medical name of the diagnosis. It's what they want on the other end of that Googling. You know, and I could say just personally, you know, as, as a father of a child who, who battled cancer and got over a... Um, uh, was able to have surgery and have a really unusually an unusual and rare tumor removed. We Googled the heck out of the many diagnoses we had until it settled into the right kind of tumor that we figured it out. But what we wanted on the other end of that search was to hear from another parent of what to panic about, what not to panic about. What are some good questions to ask so we can be a better advocate? Because right now we feel totally lost. And, you know, and then the steps after that, which is, okay, after surgery, give me some recovery tips, you know, like what, you know, what, does, is there anyone else that has had the same situation that we are from the standpoint of the age of the child and all that, like, just that, like, some sort of hand on the darkness, you know, and so I think that's, that's where it can get interesting, because I think that that, to me, is where I, we, we very quickly and systems very quickly fall down in their want to be again, efficient, right. And like kind of be this like master of all type thing. You end up getting too cold, too white space, you know, and, and it, it just, you feel impenetrable. And that's where you get the like, sure, you're number one in preference, but everybody kind of hates it. Like what an awful, what, what an awful way to not know that your NPS score is meaningless is that people will recommend you, but it's like with a shrug, like, yes, they're the best, but it's the worst experience you'll ever have. Like that, what a, like, that's the nuance. I think we often don't, we don't get that. Don't, that doesn't end up lining all the way down the line to talk about value proposition, authoritative, it's like things like, that. like, what does it actually mean? Um, and really do the math on what that, what that means for you reputationally. Yeah. I don't want to dismiss the intimate personal moment you just shared, but you totally just like hooked the like billboard moment of sharing this, this, this conversation, which is <laughs> yes, our MPHS scores are great, but you're going to hate the care. Yeah. We actually have this. I'll give, I'll give you a, a salient example that doesn't involve my own personal story. We did a study uh, for a group, and uh, their MPS scores were pretty good. But we detailed for them how in these couple of service lines, it was a tire fire. I mean, even to the point that, like, when the patient is saying, 
that there was poor onboarding. When the patient knows the word onboarding, something has gone awry. Like, let's just use that as a dipstick, like a, as a, you know, a, a, we could, that's a, that's a great marker for us. Right. Um, and there was this like back and forth a little bit and that eventually did come out from an authority figure in the room of like, yeah, but that matches our market share. So what's interesting is they've been relying on the positive NPS scores, even though the market share never matched it. And just this idea of, first off, the rose-colored glasses that that means internally is kind of amusing in its own right. But this idea of like, you know, somebody even saying, yeah, I went to them. Good news. I feel better. Everything's fine. But I can actually single out how bad the patient experience was when I first got in there. Like that's, that. what a tremendous, how arrogant do you have to be to look at that and go, still a win, you know, and not take the hit of what are we doing wrong here or in this part, whether it's operational, whether it's the messaging, whatever it is, that idea of like conveniently not looking past that kind of score, I think is so dangerous, but I know it's con, we do it all the time. Like, it's such a trap. Yeah, I want to zoom back, too, because you really hit something that resonated with me, with the story with your, your daughter, that you clearly are intelligent, like, you're credentialed. And even in the moments of, of diagnosis, you have this complex terminology, and you search it, but the context behind that search is so different than it could be so many others that you're really just looking for the human experience right. behind this. And it's like, I think that's a, like, you, that's a huge nugget that you dropped there of so much of medicine just wants to meet that term with medical context. Right. Not the human experience context around it. Well, I get, I'll, let me, I'll, I'll kind of plumb that a little bit. I mean, so the, the kind of tumor that my daughter had, paraganglioma, it's four in a million. I mean, it's incredibly rare. One of the first things we found online from a medical standpoint, clinical standpoint, was it's typically most found in autopsies. Not comforting, turns out, to hear that uh, in that moment. But that also immediately, that only further kind of pushed back a little bit this feeling of like, is there anyone out there who's been through this at this stage in their child? Like... Is this just an adult problem on the autopsy? You know, like it just, it raised more questions than it even remotely began to answer. But you're right. We, that only further made us just want, just show us a heartbeat, not just hope. I mean, it wasn't even about like blind hope on this point. It was just more like someone to connect with to find. And what's funny is that even when we found there's an amazing community, the Fiopera Alliance, um, it's kind of combining two different rare uh, but related uh, tumors. Their communities are incredible, but even, I mean, it's full of very rare disease folks. So in other words, you know, it's a bunch of zebras, right? Like all noticing how different their stripes are. Um, but even then, we didn't ask a question for probably three or four weeks. We were just moonlighting. Like we're, we're finding people who have already asked questions that we had, looking at the answers. Okay, great. Part of it was not knowing if the that the diagnosis would shift a little bit. But this idea of like, even just us, you know, kind of moonlighting within these groups and 
finally we got to a point where we had a question that hadn't been asked yet. So that's when we joined and actually asked out loud. Um, just that whole experience, like how much different that would have been. And I'm not faulting her care at all. Cause we actually had incredible care that truly did save her life. Um, even in diagnosing it correctly, but how helpful that would have been. Had we just been sent a link with three communities, something that simple. I mean, that would be an incredible authoritative move for the brand giving us care is to say, we don't run this community, but here's a community for those that are going through what you're going through. Cause there's a mental side of this for you from a mental health standpoint, that's even aside from the clinical side that your daughter's going through. And that acknowledgement would have been, it's, I think that's a, that's an incredible opportunity that actually does show authority and quality in my opinion. But I think as rarely, we don't think about it that way. So do you think that's the brand's job or is it the individual provider's job? Is the brand's job to say, hey, providers, we think it's very valuable to share online resources with people? Or is it the brand's job to say, hey, we have a web page for every single condition and here's the best resources for it out there? I'll tell you what I think the brand's job typically is, is to tell them to stop sharing things that they don't want to be liable for if somebody reads the wrong advice. Mm-hmm. So actually, I do think there's a di- the signal being sent often is here's what we control, use it, and nothing else. So I think there actually is. I think the I, honestly to, to flatly answer your question, you know, to get to a real answer would be I think it's both. I think the brand encouraging an understanding of the patient journey to all providers. Honestly, I think that would be, I mean, you tell me, I think that would be refreshing for the provider to hear. And Mm -hmm. I think the, you know, the best, some of the better providers are already doing those kinds of things, but it'd be really great for that to actually feel reinforced that the brand has your back for doing it. Not feeling like, Hey, I'm going to write on, on your hand, (laughs) you know, or on this Mm -hmm. spare piece of paper or something, because we can't put it in a system that I'm suggesting you look here. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the idea of it being encouraged downstream, I mean, I think that's, that would be incredible. I mean, here's what's so funny about this, even talking about this kind of stuff is 30 years ago, well, let's at least go 40 years ago, but even 30 years ago, it was the hospitals who put people together, the affinity groups that the hospitals used to run. You're diagnosed with X. We already have a group of people who've lived through that. Like they were the connectors pre-internet. But the irony is, I think, in kind of giving that over to the internet, I think what we've also lost, though, is the is the acknowledgement that part of what a brand can do is be there for the whole health of that community and that family, not just the narrow clinical situation that you find yourself in. That's my soapbox on that. <laughs> Sorry, we're getting, getting into the things I've observed personally, but are now reinforced by my own research uh, part of the discussion. But um yeah, I think I, do, I feel like that's really important, and that's a sig- it's a signal we don't get very often. Sorry. Yeah, I just feel it's 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 one of the themes that I'm kind of recognizing is just how a hospital is typically local, right? And it's also the most um, hospitals are always the, always the biggest employers of the region, and so right, right. So just having 
So if you're a part of a community and you're like, okay, if like 6% of people in this community work for the hospital, like your association of the brand is going to be like the people that, you know, that work there in so many ways, you know, that's right. And it's, it's just fascinating to, to, I don't know, to think about like what a local hospital system can do to actually like deliver on a promise because that's right. You know, it's oligopolies in many ways and they don't have a lot of pressure to, you know, um, actually be led by folks that truly understand a brand. Um, and yeah, so That's anyway, right. I've appreciated that, 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 that sort of insight from you. So I think so. Thanks for that. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think it also, it translates to workforce, right? Too, because if you're the largest employer, that means everyone on my street knows a nurse, knows yeah, a yeah. doc, knows exactly. a staff member. You know, mm-hmm. and this idea that like these are just these separate stakeholders, you know, well, they're different personas on our on our whiteboard. So they don't talk to each other, uh, you know, and the idea that there's no, you know, effect. But this idea of like how you treat those you employ somehow only affects those you employ, you know, and doesn't speak to a larger. You know, I think there really is. Yeah, that that's that. It, it's amazing to me how that isn't seen as the cynical way to approach it. You know, this idea that like everybody siloed doesn't talk to each other, and that, that's a really dangerous cynicism too. Um, but yeah, totally. Well, I feel like I have ten thousand more questions, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that just means as many multiple future conversations. So uh, I'm just super appreciative of your time. Super appreciative of you sharing your story. I mean, that's. The, the distillation I took is like, these are individuals and people underneath those NPS scores that I think people kind of forget. <laughs> and yeah. you, you shared a very intimate experience underneath one of them. So I appreciate your time. appreciate your experience. Um, we always like to say, and we'll share these things, but is there any uh, kind of best place for people to interact, reach out to you online if they'd like to follow up? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, the Brow name is weird enough. You probably won't come up with too many more. So if you look up Dean Brow on, uh, on LinkedIn, you'll find it. And then if you want to know more about what feedback does, discoverfeedback.com. All one word, uh, is great too. So, well, thanks so much, YouTube. Really appreciate it. Jay and Brian both. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Health Impressions, Authority, Acquisition, Retention. We hope you found the conversation insightful and thought-provoking. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review. Your feedback will only help us improve the show. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on social media, or you can send us an email at media at titlehealthgroup.com. T-I-D-A-L healthgroup.com. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep pushing the boundaries of your knowledge. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again soon.